Well, hello, I'm Tony Payne and welcome to another edition of The Paintful Truth. Great to have you along. And if this is your first time, welcome and don't forget to subscribe. I'll mention how to do that a bit later on. First of all, thank you so much for those who commented and gave feedback on last week's edition about one another evangelism. And it was interesting that two different correspondents, that's John Lavender and Dave Pitt, both got in touch to point out pretty much the same thing that in the Gospels we see a version of this one another evangelism in the testimony of people who just can't help telling about what Jesus has done for them, uh, such as the Samaritan woman in John 4.39, through whom many of her fellow Samaritans believe, and the leper in Mark 1.45 who gets healed and gets told by Jesus to say nothing to anyone, but ends up talking freely about it and spreading the news. And Dave pointed out that what's often translated talk freely in that verse is in fact the normal word for proclamation uh, in the New Testament, karusane, uh, and that the news that he was spreading was the word, the logos. Uh, very well spotted. And thanks so much for this feedback. Keep it coming. And for those who have suggested topics that they'd like me to cover, in future editions of The Painful Truth. Thanks so much for those suggestions as well. I'm compiling a long list and I will get to them all. But this week, it's hard not to think about and talk about our current strange circumstances and one particular implication of them, the fact that we're all coming to terms with, the fact that our local church gatherings have been suspended in many parts of the world and that for the next few months, it seems, we'll have to make do without them. How should we think about this? How should we think about church when we can't gather as church? Well, that's the subject for this week's episode of The Painful Truth. Well, it's an ad that Aussies of my generation grew up with. Jack Thompson, in his ruggedly good-looking larrikin phase, says to the barman, Clayton's thanks, Brian. A dumbfounded onlooker responds, On the wagon, Jack? Nah, drawls Jack. When I don't feel like alcohol, I have Clayton's. And then the voiceover, Clayton's. The drink you have when you're not having a drink. And so an expression entered Australian vernacular. When you can't have the real thing and you have to make do with a less than adequate substitute, it's a Clayton's. Uh, this is often derogatory, of course, in typical Aussie fashion. You really don't want to end up with a Clayton's car or work for a Clayton's boss or, worst of all, be described as a Clayton's husband. But it doesn't have to be negative. Sometimes, because of the situation you find yourself in, you just have to say, I'll have Clayton's, thanks. And I think that's where many of us are at with church in this surreal coronavirus moment. We are genuinely thankful for the technology that allows us to connect with our church communities online in the various kinds of simulated Sunday things that many churches are doing. And yet we also can't help feeling the Clayton's nature of it all. There's the lack of physical presence with one another, the diminished communicative power of the preaching, it's just not the same. The absence of communal singing, that's something that many of us are feeling. And the Lord's Supper and so much more. We miss the real thing. 
But we're grateful in the meantime for the church you have when you're not having church. And I think both of these impulses are healthy. That is, the sadness at no longer having the real thing, the gathering, the meeting with one another. And yet the gratitude for the Clayton's substitute. And in fact, I think embracing both of these attitudes will be important for us as the coming difficult months unfold. On the one hand, the benefits of being grateful and thankful are obvious, and I won't dwell too long on them. Thanksgiving, in all circumstances, is just one of the basic characteristics of the Christian life. And now, in these particularly difficult circumstances, we have to remember to particularly be thankful to God. Thankful for the opportunities that some of us have to spend more time with our families. Thankful for the undoubted gospel opportunities that are opening up, especially as we interact with friends and neighbours whose secure worlds have been rattled by COVID-19. And thankful for our pastors and our church staff and the whole team, all of whom are working long hours under stress, scrambling to minister to the flock when most of their normal tools for doing so and all the normal rules for doing so have all suddenly been overturned. Let's be really thankful and positive about all these things, about the extraordinary technology that is allowing us to stay in touch online and to hear each other's voices and to even see each other's faces, even if sometimes in a mirror darkly, um, especially when the webcam is positioned facing the window. You know that that's a no-no, but people still do it all the time. On the other hand, I think it will do us good to openly embrace the fact that what we're doing online is not the real thing, that it's Clayton's church. And that will be helpful for us, I think, for at least two reasons. First of all, I think it's spiritually healthy for us to grieve the loss of our local church gatherings. I think it's good to miss meeting together as a congregation, to long for it, to long for its return, and to realise, and perhaps for the first time for some of us, just how precious and unique and important that weekly gathering of the local congregation is. I can't help wondering if this will be a sort of Hebrews 12 moment for some of us, in which God disciplines us as his children to appreciate something that we frequently take for granted, and that's the gathering of his people. And, by the way, I don't think we also want to convey the opposite theological lesson over the next several months, Namely, that church without actually gathering is still pretty much church, so long as you can catch up with an online sermon and sing along with some Christian music in your lounge room. It's good for us to miss the real thing. But secondly, if we embrace the Clayton's nature of what we're doing online on Sundays, it may actually help us to do a better job of it. And I'll explain what I mean. I don't just mean that it will motivate us to lean harder on the one another aspect of ministry, although I think that's true. I mean that if we embrace the fact that it's not really possible to recreate Sunday, to recreate the reality of our Sunday gatherings in an online space, it may actually liberate us to use the technology at our disposal more flexibly and effectively. When we're in Clayton's mode and we realise that we are, we can experiment. We can experiment with various ways to achieve as much as we possibly can online with each other without feeling like we have to recreate Sunday for people, which is something that the circumstances and the medium really do make impossible. And I just want to give one 
brief example. I strongly suspect that online sermons, the Bible talk, will be more effective if they stop trying to be a normal, real sermon, that's of the live audience, preached kind that we're used to, and embrace the character and limitations of having to speak online on video. Sermons, that is, live, preached, real sermons, are a form of what Marshall McLuhan called hot media. That is, they require the full engagement of the listener in the communicative event, to follow the argument that's being laid out, to imagine the story that the preacher is telling, to picture the imagery and so on, you have to be fully engaged. That's what McLuhan meant by hot media. And that's partly why physical presence is so important for a sermon. Because what a sermon requires of its listener, which is a high level of engagement, of hot engagement, is partly made possible by the whole physical nature of the experience, the fact that you're sitting quietly there with others, expecting to listen, and they are also listening. The fact that you have the physical presence of the preacher eyeballing you, commanding your attention by his mannerisms and gestures and his voice, and so on and so forth. Trying to translate this form of communication to online video, straight to camera with no audience, It's a media mismatch, it doesn't fit, and it's a very tough ask, both for the speaker and for the hearer. And this is partly because video is a very different medium, obviously. It's a cool medium. It's a medium that does the work for you, that functions by showing rather than telling, by pictures rather than words, by creating feelings rather than arguments, by telling stories rather than expounding texts, all of which is why you never ever see anyone on TV talking directly to camera to explain something for more than about 30 seconds. But it's also because preaching is crowd communication. It has that voice and rhetorical character that assumes that there's a largish bunch of people in front of you that you're speaking to and persuading. Whereas online straight-to-camera teaching It's really just directed to the one or two people who are watching in their lounge room. It's like preaching a sermon to someone in their lounge room, or to two people. And to do that requires a different sort of voice, a more personal, conversational voice, that most of us who are preachers aren't really used to employing. What does all this mean? Well, I think in practical terms, I suspect it means that for straight-to-camera Bible teaching to be effective over the next three to six months, and it could be that long that we're doing this, we'll have to keep adapting and adapting its form. If we want our people to stay tuned in and engaged, especially as the novelty of, of the Sunday gathering online wears off, if we want people to stay tuned in, we may need to deliver shorter punchier, more conversational chunks of teaching than we're used to. Perhaps we'll need to deliver two or three bites of around eight minutes each, rather than one continuous 30-minute exposition. Now, this is a good example, because will an adapted form of teaching like this, in shorter chunks, will it achieve all that a good quality sermon achieves when it's preached live to a congregation? Well, almost certainly not. It will be a Clayton's kind of event, and a temporary one at that. But it will likely be a more effective way to teach the word in this current weird situation than continuing to preach the standard model that works when we're live and gathered together.
This is just one example, and you could multiply this by thinking about how music and singing works and so on and so forth. But as I round off this week's edition, I've noticed that the Queen has just delivered a short message to the British people, encouraging them to show the sort of good-natured fortitude that the Brits were known for during the Second World War. And as she concluded, she alluded to the famous Vera Lynn song of that era. She finished by saying, We will meet again. And we will indeed meet again as God's people. And as we long and pray for that day to come, let's embrace the Clayton's nature of our current experience with some sadness and hope, with thankfulness and grace, and with some creative flexibility to make the most of what God has given us. Well, that's all for this week's edition of The Painful Truth. And if you haven't done so already, head over to the website to subscribe. That website is The Painful Truth, spelled P-A-Y-N-E, full truth, thepainfultruth.substack.com. And you can not only subscribe there, you can also check out the other editions that I've put out so far. I'd love to have you on board and be able to send you this material weekly by email. Do continue to keep in touch. Send me an email response if you'd like to comment or ask a question, or you can use the comment section that's under each of the posts at Substack. One other thing just quickly to draw to your attention, while you're over at the Substack website and looking at this post, you can check out the link that I've put there to the CCL Annual. That's the Centre for Christian Living Annual. Uh, The Centre for Christian Living is the organisation, as many of you know, that I worked for up until... Uh, the end of last year, it's established and supported by Moore College to promote thinking about the Christian life. Uh, and the annual consists of essays and articles and podcast transcriptions, all the best stuff from 2019, and including an article by me on community and the nature of real, genuine Christian community. If you want to check out that and all the other excellent stuff that's in there, you'll find it at Moore College at the Centre for Christian Living website. That's ccl.more.edu.au or you can find a link at the bottom of the article on the Painful Truth website as well. Well, thanks for being with us this week. I'm Tony Payne and this is The Painful Truth. Bye for now.